Yes, that is the weekend knocking on your door on this Friday, which means it's time for another edition of the Speaking For Him podcast. I'm Adam McNutt, alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gomison. Hello, Adam. This is Andrew, and I'm very grateful uh, to be with you today and also to welcome in our guest, Mr. Timothy Stoner, and we will get to him in a moment and explain why he is here. But first, let's go to Adam for our quote of the day. Forget about sleep. The book you hold is going to give you an amazing ride into new worlds and new concepts which could change your life. Tim Stoner has given us an amazing gift of fiction and fantasy. It is a book you will not put down easily and which you think about for a long time. Read it. You'll be glad you did. That is from Steve Brown, professor at Reformed Theological Seminary and president of Key Life Network. All right. And with that, uh, we will uh, introduce our guest. Tim Stoner is a lawyer here in the West Michigan area, Grand Rapids. He's the husband of Patty, and they have five children. I met both Tim and Patty through my work at the Potter's House Christian School. I really um, respect and admire both of them. And I'm excited to feature Tim's book, The Paladins, next year for the Speaking for Him book club, which we will be be revealing in the coming weeks, the full uh, lineup of four titles. But just know that our contemporary fiction selection for this year will be The Paladins. So I'm excited to welcome the author, Tim Stoner, to the studio. Thank you for joining us, Tim. Well, it's my pleasure, Andrew. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Well, um, a few uh, months ago when we were working uh, at Potter's House uh, last school year and we're uh, getting into another one here quickly, um, as well, but uh, you gave your testimony, and I was just really impacted by it, so I hope that as a part of this, uh, you would um, give us your testimony, because one of the things we do here on the Speaking for Him podcast is that we want to encourage people in their walk with Christ, and so we like to hear how God has impacted people, um, because there's only one way to heaven, but there's many journeys that get us to the right way. And God has us all on a journey, and we'd like to hear a little bit about yours. So, to start out, could you tell us a little bit about your growing up years? Well, my growing up years were a little bit different than the norm, Andrew. Um, My mom and dad were missionaries, so I spent the first, oh, probably 14 or 15 years of my life outside of the United States. The first nine or so years, we were in South America, Chile. And after Chile, we spent uh, about five years. I spent about five years in Spain. So grew up speaking Spanish, grew up moving pretty much every other year, either to a different country or to a different city. And um, so we did a lot of travel, a lot of bouncing around. We actually did travel before airplanes were really popular. So we did a lot of traveling by ship from the United States to Chile. And I remember these 11-day journeys getting from New York City to Santiago, Chile. So that was kind of a memory that stands out in my mind. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That makes that three-hour layover seem like nothing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think the longest uh, single uh, journey as far as a car ride was probably two days both directions to go. Or maybe, I, I guess I take that back. Three days both directions to go to Los Angeles, California, but probably was still a little more comfortable and less disconcerting than 11 days on a ship. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> definitely bringing some new 
experience and enlightenment to the most of the people who listen to this podcast. Although some of you may have traveled on a ship, and this might be an interesting question for our Facebook page. If you're listening and you took an interesting journey uh, that you would like to tell us about, uh, go to uh, facebook.com slash speaking for him and let us know what uh, your most memorable uh, trip was and um, just hashtag it uh, memorable journey. Uh, that would be a fun way that you can interact with this podcast and I look forward to seeing those. And make sure you tell your friends so they can connect this way as well. Um, so you talked about um, being a missionary and moving around a lot and how that kind of impacted your childhood. Could you now um, go into uh, how you came to know Jesus Christ personally? Yeah. My my folks were missionaries. Uh, their role was planting churches. So essentially, uh, I grew up, along with my siblings, um, four other siblings, in a Christian context, in a missions Christian context, hearing about Christ very, very regularly. So that was kind of the atmosphere that surrounded us. Um, my folks were involved in a lot of evangelistic campaigns. My father and my mother both are quite musical, so they would be a part of musical evangelistic teams throughout southern Chile. And um, what they would do actually is that they would pitch a big circus tent. I don't know how many of the listeners have been to the old-fashioned circuses where you've got these big, huge canvas tents. Well, that's what my folks used to, um, to gather people for evangelistic campaigns. They would pitch this huge tent, like a circus tent. They'd play music, sing songs, and invite people to come. And there wasn't much entertainment going on, so that was probably the, the funnest thing in town. So lots <laughs> of people would come. And that's kind of where I heard the gospel, obviously, for the for the first and, and many, many, many times. And as a child, um, I was convicted after listening to, I think, my father probably share the gospel one time and felt convicted uh, by the Holy Spirit that I needed to make a commitment to Christ. I wanted, I wanted to make a commitment to Christ and needed to. So I remember after one of the services coming up to my mom and she was sitting at uh, the portable organ and um, telling her that I, I wanted to commit my life to Christ. And so that was, I think, when I was about seven or eight years of age. Okay. And uh, I, I know that you kind of talked about when we... Uh, when you talked um, at the Potter's House a little bit about um, struggling with self-acceptance and a little bit about uh, the way God made you, perhaps, or perhaps, or maybe even especially after you made this decision and were mm -hmm. consciously aware of yeah. uh, what God was doing. Um, and I know I have a similar story, but could you talk a little bit, bit about that and how that played into your story? Well... Yeah, I can do that, Andrew. Um, you know, I, I share the fact that uh, as a missionary kid, we did a lot of traveling, which on the one hand is was quite exciting and introduced us to a lot of interesting experiences and gave us opportunities that many, many people didn't have. Um, I think as I shared with you, by the time I was in seventh grade, I had been to school on four different continents. So if you can think about that, from a just purely 
logistical perspective, that means that we were moving around a lot, which means for, for on a personal level, I had to say goodbye a lot, which means that essentially I didn't really have the opportunity of making deep friendships and or the friendships that I did make, I had to leave on a very, very frequent basis. So um, I was saying goodbye a lot. So we would travel within the country and what missionaries did back in those days is that we, they would basically stay in a country for four years and then they would return to the United States if you're an American missionary. You'd come back to the States for a year furlough and then return to the country for another either four or, or sometimes it was a two-year stint. So you're basically traveling between continents and between cultures and between languages, and I grew up speaking Spanish primarily. So my mom told me an interesting story when she said when I was on our first fur furlough returning to the United States, um, I refused to speak English. <clears throat> so um, the folks in the United States would talk to me, and they'd try to be friendly, and I just refused. If they, if they didn't speak Spanish, I wouldn't answer. <laughs> so that just shows you kind of the cultural thing that was going on in my life. Um, you know, I felt comfortable in a Spanish culture, and then in the United States, I felt out of place. So my story is, is really impacted a great deal by this sense of, of isolation and disconnectedness from the culture, my, my home American culture. So I grew up um, essentially even uh, most of my life feeling a bit estranged from the American culture. And in fact, kids in my kind of, in my shoes are called third culture kids. So essentially third culture kids are kids that are, say for an American kid who raised in a different culture, a different context, a different language. So they're never really actually fully American or fully that other culture because they, they were not born there. And so they're sort of in the middle between, between cultures. They're kind of in the middle and they're called third culture kids. So that that essentially significantly impacted how I viewed myself and, and felt quite insecure. And um, uh, I was a very shy child as a result because I didn't feel very confident about who I was and what I was. And my, my uh, identity was kind of shaky because of this kind of transitioning constantly back and forth and not having developed deep, deep roots in any one particular place. So that's kind of what initially began setting in, in place my sense of being disconnected from, from myself, from others, from culture. Um, yeah, I can imagine how that might be. I've never experienced that. I know that for me, moving at 21 from a suburban neighborhood to a, to a country out in the sticks neighborhood um, and going to a place where there is no sidewalks and no public transportation. That was a big enough adjustment for me as a 21-year-old. I can only imagine what it must have been like to constantly be thrust back and forth. And, you know, you talk about the third culture thing, and I just think about how, how many people today, for various reasons, struggle with their identity and who mm -hmm. they are mm -hmm. and how that just reminds us that we need to find our identity in Christ because Christ is everywhere. Um, our identity in Christ doesn't change no matter where our location is. Um, because he's faithful. So very important things to keep in mind. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Adam, do you have any questions? I do. Uh, we're talking about your new book that is um, that is out. And what really prompted you to write that specifically? 
You're talking about the Paladins? Yes. Okay. Well, that's an interesting story because um, I never, ever thought that I was a writer. I never thought that I had any kind of serious writing ability. In our home life, <clears throat> missions was the center, and ministry was centered around sharing the gospel. So in a hierarchy of values, uh, being a missionary was the highest value, and um, everything else was pretty much secondary. <clears throat> and clearly, in the hierarchy, uh, art and writing or anything relating to the arts was basically wasn't hardly even showing up on the, on the scale of values. <laughs> so I never thought of myself or, or even considered the possibility that I would be a writer, could be a writer. I... Um, after going um, to high school, I went to a, um, a Bible college. I went to Cedarville College University and graduated from there with a degree in theology um, and then attended Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. And then I became an attorney after that. So basically my training and education and orientation has been in the intellectual arena, right, where it's logical and propositional and categorical. So um, that's how I perceive myself. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea that there was within me this person who was actually an artist who was a writer. The way it came out was um, I did a lot of reading to my kids uh, when they were smaller. We have uh, five children. So I had read through pretty much all the books that I, I wanted to read to them. <laughs> yeah. And I got really frustrated because I went to the bookstore and the only thing left was these what I would consider sappy devotionals. And... Um, I just got frustrated and, and thought, where are, the, where are the new writers for kids' books? And I struggled and struggled, and it was the weirdest thing. I was actually sitting in my, my dad's office in his home, and um, this book title came into my head, the name of four characters, and an essential um, storyline just downloaded. And Wow. And I, I sat back thinking, wow, this is a really good idea. Yeah. This is a really good thing. And each, what was interesting was that each of the characters actually, um, each of the first the, the first letters of their names are the first letters of each of our, our, our kids at that point. We had four kids at that point. So each of the kids had were actually in, in various ways similar to the our, my, my, my children. So um, I knew this was a great idea, but I knew that I, there was no possibility that I could write this book. So I spent two years trying to find somebody who would be willing to write this story for me and wound up finding nobody. So I got, I got to a place where this idea was so heavy. It was like people describe it very authentically as like when you're pregnant. There's this sense of something coming to birth within you, and it's got to come out. <laughs> And that's very accurate. So after a while, I couldn't deny the fact that there was something wanting to come out. And so I said, okay, I can't find anybody to write this book. I'll write it myself. So I sat down at the computer um, and started typing. And I remember as I began to type, I heard this message in my head, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> Who do you think you are? You are. First of all, the story is a fantasy, all right? So it's not like a, a devotional book. It's not like a theological book, which I 
might have the- theoretically been able to write because that's how my training was, right? But it's this fantasy thriller, <laughs> and I'm sitting, and the 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 thought is, you're crazy. You are not a creative person. You're a logical, not a lawyer for gosh sakes, and you you really don't read that much fantasy. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> and so every day that I sat down to write that story, I heard that same message every day, every day, every day. And I had to fight that down. I really did. It was like wrestling down a, an opponent almost for a year before I got to the place where that voice shut up. And uh took several years to write. And it was published ultimately in 1997. And through the process of writing, I discovered that I was somebody I had no idea I was. That I was fundamentally wired in a way that was a total shock to me. That was basically that I was wired as an artist, even more so than a lawyer. And so it was, a, it was an incredible discovery of myself, who I was, what I was made to do, because as I wrote, I found this incredible sense of freedom and joy. It was like, it really was like flying as I wrote. So it was a, that was a, it was a wonderful experience, and, I, and uh, it certainly marked my life. That's awesome. Well, you know, I definitely can sort of relate because um, I really, when I was struggling with my identity and how God made me, I really was struck by the story of Moses um, because Moses was told by God to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. Mm. I'm slow of tongue. Mm. No one will listen to me. And God basically says, um, go, and I will tell you what to say. Hmm. And he didn't let Moses make excuses. And although I made excuses for quite a while, he got, got to the point where I was done making excuses. And the lesson here is that, uh, you know, making excuses to God isn't really worth it because he knows the answer to every question before it even forms in your mind. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's easy to listen um, to our minds and to listen to our self-doubt and it's even harder when there's been voice doubt uh from yeah, others right. about what you're intended to do or what you're made to do right um but but i've found that god has opened up so many doors including this podcast because i was willing to surrender and say okay god mm. whatever you want to use me for i'm willing to be used yeah. and so yeah. i really appreciate yeah. the story of how you came to write this book. Now, was this your first book? Yes, it was my first book. That's why it was so difficult because <laughs> I had no track record, right? So I was breaking new ground every single day. I mean, ground, new ground in the, in the story, but new ground in my own spirit and understanding of who I was as a person. And how many books have you written now? Since then, I've written five other books. Okay, so you have a total of six. Yeah, I've got a total of six, and it's... Uh, that was the first and last fantasy that I've written. Have you thought uh, about picking up the fantasy pen again? Well, you know, Andrew, there have been many people who have asked me to do that. In fact, um, I'll tell you a quick little story. I was at Potter's House, and I had shared my testimony. And um, and I I'd, I'd mentioned the paladins in my testimony, right? 
and I, I think we were, we were starting to give away some of the books. But anyway, there was this little, this, this young boy, I think he's in seventh grade, and um, he was hanging around, and I could tell he wanted to talk to me. It was one of those situations where you kind of, this, you, out of your peripheral vision, you see this, this person waiting in the wings, and he was waiting to talk to me. And finally I turned over to him, and he said, Mr. Stoner, I just want you to know that I, I just loved the Paladins. And it's it's the only book I've ever read that I cried when it finished Aww. because it ended and I didn't want it to end. <laughs> <laughs> so please, Mr. Stoner, would you write a sequel? <laughs> wow. It doesn't, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um well, you kind of talked um, a little bit about some of this, but um, I guess if you could come up with one aside from those nagging doubts that uh, that came into your head that you already talked about, what would you consider the biggest challenge to writing this book? Um, well... You know, maybe I've, I've mentioned it, Andrew, but I really believe that it came down to a fundamental lack of confidence in who I was as a, as a person. Mm-hmm. I, I perceived myself to be a certain kind of a person. I had been, um, you know, kind of pigeonholed as a certain kind of person as well. I had done well in a certain way of in studies and things of that nature. So basically my whole self-image revolved around uh, being a, a logical, you know, kind of a, you know, kind of a person, not a creative person. And in fact, I viewed creativity more or less as, as a negative thing. Mm-hmm. So so the, the, the challenge for me was to realize that I had a gift and it was from God and that I needed to embrace it, be grateful for it, celebrate it, and use it for him. Mm-hmm. In fact, that really is kind of one of the, the major themes of the book, Andrew, has to do with this. Uh, see, because the story of the Paladins is these four young young people, late teens, who find themselves in a different world. It's similar to the Chronicles of Narnia uh, story narrative arc where they discover themselves in this other world, they're fleeing, they're running for their lives, basically, and and find themselves in this other world. Um, And in this other world, they encounter the the ruler who commissions them as paladins. And a paladin is a medieval uh, knight who would be sent on special missions for the king. And so these paladins were sent on a mission by the king, but before they're sent, they're given a, a, a specific gift, and a specific ability. And so they must now learn to use their gifts and abilities. Each of them are unique to themselves and learn how to use them in accomplishing the mission that the king has sent them on. So the the theme, if there is a theme or one of the themes, is this theme of recognizing that we are bigger than we think we are, that there is something larger going on than meets the eye, that we're part of a big story and that we have a significant destiny, and that there is a calling on each of us, and not only a calling, but a gifting, an ability that is uniquely given to us by God. 
And so regardless of who we are, regardless of what our context, regardless of our family, regardless of our strengths and or weaknesses, regardless of what we think about ourselves, God has selected us and appointed us and given us a unique destiny and calling that we can have significance in the kingdom of God, accomplishing his purposes, even though we may never be famous, even though we never may be hugely well-known, or rich or successful in the world's eyes, yet in the eyes of God, he has called us and appointed us and, and imparted gifts to us that are intended to be used for the blessing of others. Yeah, and that is so good. And I feel like I'm repeating a lot of things that I've said on the podcast before, but I think it's also good because it really highlights some of the things I'm most passionate about. When you think about that, I think that one of the biggest problems that people have today is that they wish they had other people's gifts. Mm-hmm. And they don't take the time to mm-hmm. investigate their own gifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Twain, to paraphrase Mark Twain, um, he said that if you, um, everyone's a genius in your own way, but if you te- if you try to get a fish to climb a tree, he'll think he's stupid his whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously mm-hmm. there's kind of a negative connotation to that where yeah. if everybody's special, no one is, which right. is definitely true in a sense. And we have too much of that in our culture. But there's another sense in which God did make you for a specific purpose, and when you find that purpose, embrace it and be happy with it. Another thing that I see happening, which is kind of sad, is I have some friends that have certain talents, and then they've gotten saved, and they said, well, I think I need to give this up so that I can preach the gospel. Now, there's nothing wrong with preaching the gospel. Please don't get me wrong. I love to preach myself. But I also think Mm. that certain things... Like um, my my ability to do radio work, which is something I've loved since I was seven, are part of God's gospel plan. Mm. And just like for you, writing yeah. was part of God's gospel yeah. plan. Yeah. Yeah. And these books can speak powerful messages, even though they might not be on the level that some people think that they would be or that they think that you should be on a higher level than a writer. But mm-hmm. if God called you to be a writer, then it's your responsibility to be the best writer that you can be. So I really appreciate that slant of this discussion. So in your writing of this uh, book, do you have a favorite character, one that you particularly resonate with? Well, I guess probably the the main protagonist is uh, Jotham. And um, he's the oldest of the four. There's actually uh, three male and one female uh, characters, just like at that time I had three boys and a girl, and their pattern after them. Uh, and my the the protagonist Jotham is kind of patterned after Jonathan, my oldest. And um, and I resonate with with Jotham because uh, Jotham one of the the themes or uh, that runs through the storyline is the fact that that Jotham is uh, has a serious issue with his father. So um, there's been some deep, deep wounds in Jotham's life because his father was an alcoholic, I think. I forget now. I th- yeah, I think there was, that was the issue. And he abandoned the family, and so there's deep father wounds that Jotham carries. And so part of what's going on in this story is not just this uh, realization of the gifts and abilities, but there's also this theme of reconciliation and forgiveness that takes place where, where Jotham has to recognize the the frailty of his father and learn to forgive his father and um, rec- be reconciled to, to an extent to, to, the, 
to the fact that he was deeply hurt, deeply abandoned, deeply wounded, but yet that even in the in the midst of that, God was accomplishing something good in his life. So, so you know, some of that resonates with my spirit. Um, um, not not that I'm writing my own story into this because my father was not an alcoholic, obviously, and he was a a, a, a really wonderful father. But yet, I think many many of us uh, growing up experienced deep wounds uh, from our from our parents. And um, I wrote, one other reason I wrote The Paladins is that I wanted to write a book that would resonate with young people who had been wounded by by their parents and struggled with feeling alienated, abandoned, rejected, and also had a, a either a wound of bitterness or a, or a root of bitterness in their heart against their their parents because of this the wounding that, that took place in their childhood. So I wanted to provide some of that context in the story, and so Jotham becomes the means for me to address that issue. All right, and again, this is something we've kind of circled around, but um, to put a finer point on it, uh, if you were to tell us what the biggest thing you would want someone to take away after they've picked up and read your book, what would you say it is? You've been chosen by God for a special purpose. Um, now, just using American Idol as an example, American Idol uh, teaches kids almost all the wrong things. It teaches uh, young people that unless they're wildly famous and wildly popular and wildly successful, in terms of notoriety, they have not, they have not arrived. They're a failure. And um, there is the celebrity cult in the world and in the church, which is extraordinarily damaging. Because as you mentioned, Andrew, um, the gifts we may have may be somewhat humble gifts, right? They may not be, you know, notorious gifts, gifts that will give you a name, it may, it may, in fact, the majority of us will live lives of quiet, sort of undercover, unknown. We will not be on the radio. We will not be, you know, we will not become a household name, right? Mm-hmm. Does that make us a failure? Does that make us unimportant? No. So the thing that I wanted to, to tell the, or, or encourage the reader to understand is that there is a there is a large story that's taking place. We're a part of God's story. Now, in the book, it's 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 war because these four uh, paladins are fighting against the enemy, and their quest is to liberate four major strongholds of the enemy and 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 free the prisoners that are in that have been captive. So that's to me it's that's an allegory for our, the Christian life and the Christian calling that all of us have been called, like Christ, to be his representatives in the world to bring hope and life and freedom to those who are in bondage, who are those who are in darkness, to those who are lost. And whether we're known for it or we're never known for, for what we do, nonetheless, we have the incredible privilege of cooperating with God in the work of setting captives free. Oh, and we absolutely. can do that in a, in a multitude of different ways, in, in large and small ways, we're called to follow Jesus in his work, which is he came to, to seek and save the lost. He came to proclaim 
the gospel proclaimed freedom to prisoners, setting captives free. And so my storyline of these four protagonists, four paladins, setting captives free is just a way of depicting the, of the fact that that's what we're called to do in our life. We're going to be encountering those who are imprisoned, those who are in bondage in a variety of different ways, but we have, through Christ, the capacity to speak freedom to those who are in bondage. And if you really think about it, none of the a lot of the heroes that we read about in the Bible were not expected to be heroes. I mean, you had David, who was the eighth out of eight sons, and mm-hmm. he was like the least. He right. wasn't even called when Jesse said, I'm coming to anoint a king Yeah, from right. your sons, Jesse. He wasn't right. even called. And then right. you had had Gideon who was hiding in a wine press because he was afraid of the Midianites. And God says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. So he's seeing in Gideon this mighty man of valor and Gideon saying, I'm just fighting to survive. What are you talking about, God? (laughs) But it's, but if you are, um, if you are following God, he's going to give you a mission and you may not even know who you touch this side of heaven, but God is using you. Um, Another example of that from our culture is just the movie It's a Wonderful Life. I don't know if anybody, if everybody here in my audience has seen it. They've heard me mention it on occasion because it's one of my favorites. But just basically this this main guy, George Bailey, finds out what life would be like for his friends, all the people around him, if he never existed. And it's always a big encouragement to me when I watch that film that even in ways that I can't see, God is using me to affect other people and so when i start to get depressed and and not realize you know and and feel like um even with this podcast when i'm gonna look at the numbers to see who's listening and i say man i wish i could have a hundred a hundred more people listening but if it's only seven people for a particular episode hopefully it's the seven that god mm. wants to hear it yeah. and that it ministers to them when they need it so I definitely thank you for that message. It's been encouraging to me again today. Um, we just have a couple more questions to finish out. But first, do you have a favorite Bible verse? Um, well, I love the Bible. So there's uh, <laughs> lots and lots of Bible verses in the Bible <laughs> that I like. Um, a verse, you know, it's hard to say favorite. That's, But I would say that there's a verse that I've been quoting and praying a lot over the past several years, so it must be a favorite. Uh comes from Psalm twenty seven or Psalm twenty five. It says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Amen. It doesn't mm-hmm. get much better than that. Yeah. Um so if you need encouragement uh, look up Psalm 25, and actually, as you say that, I'm remembering that in one particular time that I was kind of discouraged with my life, a friend of mine recommended it to me, Psalm 25, and the whole psalm is very encouraging. Yep. So definitely we'll, we'll post those verses on the blog uh, that's associated with this episode, and so you can find it and look look at those verses, and hopefully also look at the whole psalm. All right, we're just going to finish with this last question. Um, if someone out there uh, is listening and they think, hey, maybe I might want to write, um, what advice would you have for them? Um, well, this is very, very complicated. 
but I'll I'll summarize it with one word. Right. That that I mean that that is very good advice and <laughs> There you go. I, I, I've heard that before and and I just have to say that may like you said that uh, it's it it sounds simple. Um and so I think he was a little tongue in cheek with the complicated thing there. <laughs> but uh but it is true. Um you know, one thing that really got me started with writing was to have a blog. You know, the speaking for him uh blog uh highlights the podcast and has show notes for each uh episode, but also I have standalone blog posts that I publish um on Mondays when God sends me a particular message that he wants me to write about. And so you can see those up on speakingforhim.blogspot.com and also leave voicemails on the blog about the podcast or the blog post. So I encourage you to interact that way. But um, I would definitely agree. You can get a blog within five minutes and that might be a good way to, to get your feet wet and start if writing could, and flushing out your ideas. If you wanted, yes. Um, because I, I was a little tongue-in-cheek. Um, you know, it is important to write, but I would say the other thing is, too, it's important to have something to say. Oh, absolutely. And um, one of the problems with the media today and, be, and social media is everybody wants to write or can write, right? And mm. everybody can have a blog, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Just like everybody's a photographer now, so everybody gets to be a photographer. <laughs> um, and the reality is not everybody's a photographer and not everybody's a writer. Um. So it's important to, to know who you are and, and what your limitations are as well. And just because you can string words on a page doesn't necessarily mean you're a writer. Um, and I would say regarding the um, having something to say, um, one of, uh, one of the, 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 the thing the celebrity cult is that we want to be famous, we want to be popular, and so one of the ways in which people get noticed is by writing, right? Um, so the question would be, why do I want to write? Do I want to write in order that everybody gets to know my name and I get to be famous and become a household name? Is that, is that what's motivating me? So I would say, you know, examine the, the motives that, that's in your heart. Um, I don't really think that Fame is is the most uh, is the best motivator for or, or the, the the best reason to become a writer. I think that you are a writer because you have something to say that God has given you to say, and the way that it needs to be said is through writing. And how do you get something to say? Well, the the way you get something to say is you uh, quiet yourself before God and you spend time with Him, and our culture isn't known for for quiet. It is it is not a culture that encourages silence and meditation. Uh, it's not a culture that encourages listening. It encourages loud talking, communicating, uh, much stimulus, and doesn't give us much time to be quiet and be still and to know who God is. So, I would say besides writing. Make sure you have something to say. Spend time listening to God, getting from Him what He wants you to say, not what you want to say, but what He wants you to say. And then read deeply, read widely, 
Read broadly, but read wisely. Read those who write well. For me, my mentor has been C.S. Lewis. It's not because a lot of people like him. I mean, yeah, a lot of people like him, but that isn't why I read him. I read him because I found in him a person who could articulate truth clearly, powerfully, simply, and, just as importantly, beautifully. Well, and I think it's about who likes him, too, because I I won't say the name, but I know of a, of a popular quote-unquote Christian author that a lot of my coworkers in the past have raved about at a past job I had, but their lifestyles didn't reflect a Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, you know... I've never read this author, but by by the fact that their lifestyles didn't reflect the Christian worldview, but they liked this guy, mm. I kind of knew that that was a red flag, that maybe he's not the wisest guy <laughs> to follow. And so it's not it's not always about um, the the number of people that are following somebody either. That's right. something we need to yeah. clarify, and we need to realize that a small following for someone that is is following God wholeheartedly is much better than a large following because he's telling people what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do my best through this podcast, not to just tell people what they want to hear, but to tell them what they need to hear. And if that means only three people like me, or if the only one listening is Adam across the table, (laughs) then at least the message is getting out to someone. But I really appreciate you coming today. I really have been encouraged by this discussion and we look forward to featuring the Paladins in the coming months for our Speaking for Him book club. So we will thank be um, doing a full review um, in the next several months. So thank you very much for Thank being you, here. Andrew. It was a pleasure. And, uh, folks, we will have a link um, to pick up the Paladins for yourself um, so that you can be prepared to read it along with us when that time comes. Um, I think that's all I have for you this week. Uh, thank again, uh, Tim Stoner, for being in the studio with us. Please pay attention to the contact information that's about to roll and let us know what you think. Until next time, keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him, alongside his co-host and executive producer, Adam McNutt. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 